0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Historically, one of the traditions in recent years that we've seen presidents engage in. Is on Super Bowl Sunday, before the big game, the president, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, it's usually the president, sometimes it's someone else, but the president or some high-profile figure will do a... They'll sit down for an interview on the network that's airing the game. I believe the game is being aired this year on CBS, but in past years it's been on Fox, it's been on NBC, and... President Biden. <clears throat> yeah, it's CBS this year. President Biden is going to be sitting on the sidelines this Sunday as the campaign for the presidency heats up. The White House recently informed CBS News that Biden had chosen not to participate in the traditional pre-Super Bowl interview. This is the second consecutive year that the president has declined an offer to speak directly to the country's largest assembled live audience. Biden's advisors have said that the decision to skip the interview was because they wanted to give the already fatigued public a break from politics during the big game. What? What? They wanted to give the already fatigued public a break? Give me a break! Don't tell me that's the reason. We know that's not the reason. A White House official underscored that argument to CNN yesterday, adding that they believe the value of the interview has dropped, given it has over the years shifted from a more lighthearted media opportunity to a politics-focused affair. The Super Bowl snub, they're calling it, reflects a larger Biden strategy. The president is leaning far less than all of his predecessors on the traditional media apparatus to get his message out. Instead, he's opting for alternative mediums to address the American people. They've worked to make inroads with online influencers who create content for platforms like TikTok and YouTube They've actually had briefings of social media personalities on key events and invited them at times to the White House. I think this is a huge mistake on President Biden's part. Now, I think, honestly, the reason that they don't want him to do this is because they're worried how he's going to come across in this interview. I think it is going to reinforce, if he were to do an interview on a network that uh, tens of millions of people are going to be watching simultaneously, I mean, what politician wouldn't beg for free publicity like that? Well, a politician that is wanting not to show you the totality of what he's all about. And I don't think it has anything to do with issues. I think there is a perception that President Biden is, is weak, infirm, is aging badly, and is has lost more than a few miles per hour off his fastball. If that's not the case, if President Biden is just as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as he's always been, or at least uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to handle the next four years of being president then he should welcome this opportunity for a sit-down interview he should welcome the opportunity to chat for a few, for a bit now even though uh, the statement from the white house says it's become a politics focused interview it's going to be a pretty light-hearted interview it is but if the president is a bit infirm If the president has lost a couple of miles per hour off his fastball, if he's not as sharp as he used to be, then don't the American people have a right to see that? Why should we be kept in the dark about that? We ought to know if the president can sit for 10 or 15 minutes and answer basic political questions, basic questions about the running of the country. Because if the president can't do that, if the president is not... Confident, or his team is not confident that he's going to put enough of a positive impression on there so that he doesn't look bad, then honestly, he shouldn't be running. He shouldn't be asking for our vote for the next four years. I can't imagine a politician running in what, by all accounts, is an incredibly close race, turning down this opportunity. Do you know what a one-minute spot goes for? on the network of the Super Bowl, even not during the game, but during the pregame, probably close to a million dollars. So this is somewhere between 10 and $15 million of free advertising that President Biden is turning down. And I think it's fair to ask the question why. Because this, more than anything else, tells me that there's a problem with Biden's sharpness here. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to be uh, partisan. I'm not saying that to be insulting. But there's a reason that he's turning this down. And it's not because he's afraid of handling a question about Hunter Biden. I think he's afraid of how he's going to come across. Because honestly, and I said this to a friend of mine uh, the other day, th- he was a-, a Democrat and who thinks Biden's doing a great job, and he's uh, he was the former uh, chairman of the Democratic Party in the county in which he lives. And I said to him, and he agreed with me, even though we view President Biden's accomplishments quite differently, I said to him, we're at the point where I now feel the way about President Biden that I have felt about some elderly relatives or friends – which is every time they get up to speak, especially if there's any sort of q and I hold my breath in nervousness that he's going to say or do something embarrassing for himself and by extension for the country. So if President Biden is able to lead the country, he should do this interview. Not that one interview is an indi- ind- indication that you can be president. Of course it's not. But part of the job of being president is being a national spokesman, a national symbol. And if he can't handle that, he should not be running for a second term. Um, that's my view. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Well, you'll never guess who has agreed to step into the breach and pick up the slack for President Biden. All right, you guessed it. President Trump has offered to replace President Biden for a Super Bowl interview, writing on Truth Social that this would be ratings gold. I have to tell you, even though he's putting this out there with an eye towards braggadocia and as an opportunity to haze President Biden a little bit, he's right. President Trump on a Super Bowl pre-interview would be ratings gold. They could get a hardball interviewer someone that is capable of asking tough questions, I'm thinking maybe somebody like John Dickerson, and say, all right, Mr. President uh, Trump, we accept your offer. Come down and sit down for 15 minutes with John Dickerson before the game. I think that would be ratings gold. I think absolutely CBS should do that. I'm not sure they will, but honestly, I think it's an incredible opportunity for them. Here's someone that is enthusiastically supported by between, depending on which poll you look at, 40 to 45 percent of the American public. I would venture to guess that it's a substantially higher percentage of audiences that are likely to tune in for the Super Bowl. And I think knowing that this is an opportunity to stick it to President Biden, President Trump would bring his A game, even if it meant sitting down with a tough interviewer like John Dickerson. So I think he absolutely... I think it's a great idea, even though he means it just to kind of rib Biden. But I think CBS News should 100% do this. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, We're going to talk not with the dead... But we are going to talk with someone, and by the way, we have a a poll question on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O, about whether or not the day after the Super Bowl should, in fact, be a holiday. I'd love for you to vote on that. We're going to talk with someone who talks with the dead. Coming up in just a few minutes, George Anderson, who is a medium and one of the most celebrated mediums out there. Apparently, there's actually some scientific backing that he is able to commune with the dead. And after the last medium we had on, a bunch of folks wrote to me and said, oh, no, 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 forget about that person. The person you really need to talk to is George Anderson. So we're going to do that uh, coming up in just a few minutes. 800-848-9222. You'll notice... The one person that no one is talking about doing a Super Bowl interview is Nikki Haley, uh, Nikki Haley, who is still running for president. She's still raising a ton of money. She uh, put out a statement yesterday that says in the last I believe it's the last month, not the last quarter in the last month, she's raised an additional 16 and a half million. So even though the perception in a lot of quarters is that the race is over, and and honestly, I don't see any way she wins the nomination, I think um, it is clear that she is still not having a hard time getting money from her donors. And, you know, she's also now asking for secret service protection. And she said there's been a number of threats and other things like that. I have to tell you, she should absolutely get it. I feel the same way about Nikki Haley. Um, even though I'm you know, not supporting her, I feel the same way about Nikki Haley that uh, I do Robert F. Kennedy Jr. These people are running for president. They're credible presidential candidates. There are documented threats to both of them. Both of them should absolutely enjoy the protection of the Secret Service for as long as they remain candidates and as long as these credible threats continue to mount. And I think it's honestly very small on the part of the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security and those that make this decision to deny uh, both uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and uh, Nikki Haley Secret Service protection here. You know, a lot of people, in fact, Curtis was asking me about this when I saw him uh, the other day here at the radio station. A lot of people think that no, uh, no labels is going to court Nikki Haley as their candidate if you're not up on this. No Labels is this group that is going to be mounting—they're in the process of qualifying a ticket for president. It's going to be one Republican, one Democrat, and they're sort of corporate-friendly centrists. And I've gone from being pretty curious about them to somewhat— critical of them because I think they're they're very secretive. They seem to be very interested in carrying the water of the establishment. And we've spoken with a lot of no-labels folks, Joe Lieberman, Ryan Clancy, Pat McCrory, and others. But it strikes me as th- they want to... It, I like anti-establishment people. I like anti-establishment people in both parties. I like populist right-wingers, left-wingers, and centrist. No-labels seems almost the opposite of populist, in that they just want to kind of continue the status quo in the least offensive way possible, which means uh, endless foreign wars in places like Ukraine. and It means basically continuing uh, everything that the Democrats and Republicans agree upon that I don't like. But I do think it's intriguing that they're considering offering a third choice because I follow this third-party stuff pretty closely. And now, the argument against no labels from the Democrats. And I think the attacks that have been coming against no labels from the Democrats, including attempts to keep them off the ballot, are incredibly undemocratic and unfair. They've largely been focused on dismissing them, that they're not going to win, that they're not going to do well. Well, now a bipartisan group of former lawmakers is warning no labels that their third party ticket might cause a constitutional crisis by throwing the election into the House of the Representatives. Now, this is a big departure from the no-labels critics because most of what we've heard thus far has been no-labels is weak, that they're going to just siphon off votes from Biden and key states and tip the election to Trump. This new line of attack is acknowledging the potential strength of a new le- no labels ticket and the prospect that their candidate could actually win a few states outright to throw the election into the House of the Representatives. The people that signed this letter, including people, some people that I really respect, but uh, former lawmakers Dick Gephardt, Jack Danforth, Doug Jones, they're warning that the process could get messy, but they're calling this a constitutional crisis. That's not a constitutional crisis. A constitutional crisis is a president refuses to leave office and he's got enough members of the military loyal to him to keep him in office. That's a constitutional crisis. A constitutional crisis is not when the election gets determined how the election is supposed to be determined. There's the provision in the 12th Amendment that if there's no one that gets a majority of electoral votes, the House of Representatives determines it. It's not a constitutional crisis. So everybody... Dick Gephardt and Jack Danforth and Doug Jones. (sighs) Deep breath. Let's not be the boy who cried crisis. 800-848-9222. Going to talk with George Anderson in a minute, but first let me say hello to Igor in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. As it relates to the Super Bowl and, and the holiday weekend, I think
1: it's purely just a matter of time before the Super Bowl and the NFL extends their season further into February. You know, before
0: at one time it was a 14-game season. Then it went to 16 games, 17 weeks with a bye week. Now it's 17
1: games. That's 18 weeks long. I think it's only a matter of time, Frank, that it's going to drift until President's Day. I know they can't go into March because CBS, one of their NFL partners, has the March Madness for the
0: NCAA, and they can't go that far. So I think you're going to get what you want. I mean, they should just Let's go a forward. While to get there. Well, why? I mean, they should just start this next season. I mean, I don't understand why the delay. And, and you know, as you point out, the NFL could do this on their own. Let's start the season a week later, and here we are. Bomb, Boom. Done. That's what it should be. It's the simplest explanation for everybody. 800-848-9222. Eddie is in Nassau. Hi, Eddie.
1: Hey, good morrow, Frank. Look, if they even took Joe Biden's political record and they put it in a comic book, comic book form don't you think that they could release it like a copy like mad magazine
0: well i i, I mean look I, I i get that you're being funny I, you know there's a lot of people that like joe biden and respect joe biden but i think honestly most of the people that voted for biden they didn't care about joe biden i think most of the people that voted for him did so because they didn't like donald trump and honestly, I think that's going to be the case again next year which or this year, which is why I've said, given the two least popular major party presidential candidates in history, if there's no opening for a third party or independent presidential candidate this year, then that's it. Then there will never be an opening for a third party or independent presidential candidate this year. There's a very interesting article in Reason, I believe by Matt Welch, about how crowded this ballot is going to be for third party independent candidates. You have the Green Party candidate probably Jill Stein. You have the Libertarian Party candidate. We don't know who that'll be. Might even be Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Then you have uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as an independent. You have Cornel West as an independent. And then you have the No Labels candidate. So you have five very different, distinct choices of folks that are alternatives to Trump. If you're uh, left-wing, you got the choice of Jill Stein and, um, you know, and uh, Cornel West. If you're kind of a centrist populist or maybe even a center leaning populist, a right right center leaning populist, you got Robert F Kennedy jr. If you're more of a, a right wing anti-establishment guy, you got the libertarian candidate so if you're more of uh, I'm a centrist and I like uh, business as usual, you got the no labels candidate. so there's really going to be an option for everybody depending on what your views are. I think it's going to be pretty fascinating for all those reasons all right um George Anderson joins us next to talk about how. He talks to the dead and more. We're going to continue with your calls in a bit. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
2: Uno. He's your numero uno.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, a month or so ago, uh, we did a segment where we talked about connecting with those who have passed. And I interviewed a guest that uh, billed themselves as a medium, and I was deluged with not one, not two, but almost a dozen people who had heard the interview or at least seen something about it on social media, and they said, no, 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 no. The person that you talked to was okay, or they were good, or they were fine, or they were terrible. The person that you need to talk to is George Anderson. So it's very rare that I'll have a dozen people all recommending the same guest on the same subject so let me look into this fellow george anderson i have to tell you What I have found, I have just been blown away by, and I suspect you're going to be pretty interested in what he has to say as well. So I want to welcome George Anderson, who is not only known as the world's most scientifically tested medium, but he's a very sought after speaker and author and a New York Times bestselling author at that. George Anderson, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you for having me. George, uh, let's discuss uh, the basics. What is being a medium? Is it seeing the future? Is it talking to the dead? Is it reading people's thoughts? Is it? Is it several of those? What is it?
1: Well, in my case, and I have to let people know I'm just a paint job, but um, it's not like going into trance or anything like that. It's really communication from those who have passed on through feeling. Um, I did a seminar with Eben Alexander, and I had said something, you know, give my brain a rest, and he said, no, this isn't working off your brain. It's working off your subconscious. And I realize that now that it's amazing how they can find information in my subconscious of things that might have happened 40 years ago and show it to me and that would be a link with them or a name or something so it's it's really the souls that do the work i'm just the instrument but or as i say i'm just the paint job but it can be quite fascinating and recently i had a gentleman who came to me for a session and I was flabbergasted. I didn't know who he was because I don't have any previous information. And I was flabbergasted because I started seeing myself as an eight-year-old walking up the block and waving to this elderly lady who used to sit in a hammock on a nice summer's day. And her waving back. And then I felt I saw, because it's really feelings, I felt I saw her two daughters. And they happened to be our neighbors who lived, lived across the street. And the man I was doing a session for, one of the daughters that lived there, her name was Agnes... And I saw her because she was always on her bicycle running errands or whatever. She was a grown woman, of course. And I was sorry to hear that he said she had a rough time prior to her passing. But it was just gave me the chills, like seeing that memory again from so long ago. Mm-hmm. And seeing them again and knowing who they were. You know, and feeling their presence and reaching out to them, it was, you know, and yet I've had other sessions where I had this woman whose husband had been a real SOB when he was (laughs) here on the earth to her and in general, and he was in the, like, the lower or darker levels. He wasn't fully in the infinite light yet. And he had said to, I felt him saying to me, I'm glad that I passed away because if I hadn't, I probably would have murdered my wife. Wow. And I said that to her and she said, oh yeah, he would have definitely. And she was actually relieved because she doesn't care to forgive him. And I said, well. To be honest with you, forgiveness is overrated. We've been taught that, and if you don't feel comfortable with it, there's no reason why you should. And she contacted me afterward. Afterwards, and said that she was so glad to hear that because she was afraid that if she passed on and she hadn't forgiven him, you know that what would they do to her in the hereafter? And I said, well, I feel forgiveness is overrated. I have people over there that I have no intentions of forgiving and wouldn't even want to see them over there. I want to see my pets. And, you know, she was just relieved by that. So it's really, it's so different you know, over there, I mean, I, I've i had some close calls health-wise in the last few years, and I keep pulling through, but I tell people, well, it's not my time to be there yet, but when it is, they'll come for me. Which I just a- t- put them in <clears throat> my sleep.
0: Well, I mean, that's the, they say the way to go. Uh, people just tuning in, we're talking with George Anderson, man who's been billed as the world's most scientifically tested medium and a New York Times best-selling author. George, how long have you been doing this? Uh, when did you first learn that you um, had the ability to speak with people that had passed on?
1: When I was six years old, I had a very severe attack of chicken pox and it actually caused paralysis. And when I finally got better, I started, you know, feeling from people that had gone over. And of course, when you're a youngster, it's just taken up as an overactive imagination. But when I was in Catholic school and started to talk about it, they sent me to a psychiatrist because they thought I was a mental case. And I was taken to the state hospital in Central Islip, Long Island. And I saw two psychiatrists. I don't know what the second one's name was, but he went out to my parents and I overheard him say, I don't know what your son's doing here. There's nothing wrong with him. It's probably that wacko Catholic school he's going to. And I just, you know, I kept it quiet then and then started to do it more publicly. And it started to really, you know, be used to help people in the sense of death, like teaching them not to be afraid of it. It's only a transition from one dimension to another, and here is where we are now is the proving ground. This is the place of spiritual growth, and we have to do the best we can here to lead a very positive life. If you choose not to, nobody's going to break your chops about it because we're always in control here and hereafter. And
0: George, is anybody able to speak with people that have died or is that something that only certain people can do?
1: I really don't know, but I think everybody can be open to receiving signs and evidences from their loved ones over there. Maybe not all the time, maybe when you least expect it. And, you know, I always tell them, don't throw it off as your imagination or such. And I certainly encourage people here to pray for their loved ones who have gone over also because it embraces them with their love. And this way they still feel, you know, that connection. And, I mean, organized religion is not very keen on me.
0: Well, th- that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you mentioned the uh, your Catholic school background. And uh, a lot of folks might have uh, deeply held religious beliefs. Uh, regardless of how organized religion may feel about you, do you view the tenets of any religious ideology, whatever, whatever it is, including Catholicism, in being in conflict with what you're doing, which is talking with the souls of people that have passed on?
1: Well, I mean, I certainly still consider myself Roman Catholic, and I do attend Mass um, two Sundays a month because the priests that is the pastor, he still conducts the traditional Latin mass, which I prefer. It's more spiritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but in my general opinion, religions are the world's troublemakers, especially Protestant fundamentalism. And, you know, those people are probably freaking out that I just said that, but that's how I feel. And, it's not, I mean, my father's side of the pro, of the family were Protestants. They were English Protestants, Presbyterians and Episcopalians. My mother's side of the family was ultra-Catholic. But I'm glad that they all, I kind of lean toward that because I like the spirituality of it. Got it, got it. Not the man-made rules and regulations. I have no use for that. But... The spirituality of of Catholicism, to me, is very enriching mm-hmm. and very comforting. You know, the stories of the saints and different apparitions, the incorruptibles, it's too bad that the Church changed in the 1960s and did away with all of that, of the Spirit. Because what they did is they thought they were bringing the church into modern times, and what they really did is destroy the spirituality. And it's very impressive to see that the traditional Latin Mass still attracts a large number of people on those Sundays, especially young people, which I'm very surprised at. But I think they're, they probably, I, I'm a firm believer in return to tradition because it's more spiritual and people, I think, are attracted to the spirituality of it.
0: We're talking with George Anderson. If you're interested in uh, learning more about him or his work, uh, you can find him on social media or just go to the website georgeanderson.com. It's uh, spelled exactly as it sounds. Uh, George, there are some skeptics in our audience of, of mediums even being able to do this, all mediums, not necessarily you. And one listener wrote to me because his brother frequently patronizes a medium to the tune of $300 an hour and he tries to speak to their deceased mother and other relatives and this, uh, this medium books appointments through the Internet where folks give their name and other information that could indicate where they're located. And this person that wrote to me said, isn't it possible using current Internet search tools to find out the names of their deceased relatives which, uh, couldn't, which could be used in the reading? Um, I'm, obviously, I'm not saying you do that, but do you think that there are mediums that do that? And does that give the whole concept of medium A little bit of a poor reputation in some quarters. Perhaps,
1: but as I said, I don't allow any information Mm -hmm. to be told to me at all. I don't ask anybody questions. I'll ask them to confirm a statement I'm making or if I feel their loved ones around, is that accurate? You know, things of that nature. But I tell them, don't. Just say yes or so that you understand. Don't volunteer any information. And, you know, but your loved ones do it their way. They won't do it the way you expect. They won't do it my way, which I will be honest with you to this day, still pisses me off. <laughs> but I can't break their arm to do it the way I would like. But from what I've seen, I mean, I'm sure not everybody who comes to see me is tickled pink. You know, there's always going to be a whiner in the crowd because it didn't go the way that they felt it should. But they shoot the messenger, you know, and I have no power over that. I can only relate to them what the souls are helping me to feel or signaling me with. But it's definitely a interesting experience both for the people who are the subjects and for myself as well each session is unique and different unto itself so I always tell people you know keep your listening ears on you know listen to what I'm saying to you on their behalf because I've had individuals, you know, not recognize names or circumstances. I mean, not I couldn't remember everybody I knew in my life. And other people can't also. So I usually say, all right, I'll leave it with you with a question mark. And fortunately, they'll contact me again and let me know that what they had heard made sense when they said no, it didn't. And it basically, many of them have said it's changed their lives, and I'm very happy for that. But again, I'm just the instrument. It's really the infinite light over there that changes their lives. You can call it God if you like or a higher power. But there are places over there, too, as I said, the lower levels that people that have not been very good here will go they're not condemned there forever you can call it hell if you like they're not condemned there it's not fire and brimstone it's damp it's gloomy and you're in with souls that are exactly like you but the road to redemption is never closed but it's up to you to bring yourself into the light and seek redemption. But in the infinite light, the souls have told me that they're ruled by the seven fruits of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And um, I never heard of them before. And I went to had attended Catholic school, but not the seven gifts, the seven fruits Because every time I would do a session, it just would be so uplifting for me. And finally, they explained to me that I'm feeling from them that are in the seven fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I looked it up online and found out what they were. And the seven fruits are really the highest and the best Virtues you could have. And many people come also, they want to hear from their pets, and they're, you know, not that they speak English, sure. but mm-hmm. their pets are there in the infinite light as animals. I'm not a people person, but I'm definitely an animal person. Uh, yeah, I And know. animals love you just as you are. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of our audience would probably describe themselves that way as well. Y- you've been described, and I introduced you, as the world's most scientifically tested medium. Could you explain to folks who may not be familiar with your career some of uh, how you got that title? What were some of the scientific methods um, used to test? I'm trying to think back,
1: because it was really years ago... That those experiments were taking place, where I had gone to um, a neurologist tested me at Interfaith Hospital in Brooklyn years ago. I don't even remember when it was, and what he found fascinating is that we do a session one side of my brain, I guess, or subconscious would light up. And he said, ironically, they call that the dead zone because they don't know what it's there for. And when I said that they were leaving, it would start to diminish gradually. So I was always open to the experiments because I was just as curious as the next guy you know, how can I, you know, learn to relate to this better? And, you know, there were many Catholic saints that had extraordinary abilities. Like St. Dominic Savio, he was, he died as a teenager, but he used to have what he called his episodes, I believe, And the priest that was the head of his Catholic school didn't give him a hard time about it because of the spirituality of it. But as I said, it's the spirituality that really attracts me, not any of their man-made rules and regulations. And the changes of Vatican II to me are despicable, so... That might give you an idea where my head is at.
0: Understood. Well, yeah, we will save the debate on uh, Second Vatican Council for another day because something tells me we're not going to get to the bottom of it in this conversation. Uh, George, we're just about out of time. I am curious, whenever I get to speak with someone of your abilities, I I am curious to ask this question. Is there anything that you can tell me about anyone that I've known that's passed on? I'd certainly be curious to know about uh, how a lot of folks that I've been uh, uh, acquainted with, either in terms of family or friends that are now dead, how they're doing and what they think about what's going on in the world or in my life?
1: Well, I think the best thing to do would be to go on the website and make an appointment and, you know, wait for either a phone or a private session where you'll have a firsthand experience of what it can be about. And I would recommend that's the best thing to do.
0: Fair enough. Uh, George Anderson, I appreciate the time this morning. I know it's late. If people want to learn more about your work, they can go to georgeanderson.com. Thanks so much, George. Thank you kindly. Take care. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
2: Sign at midnight with
0: Frank Morano
2: Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me.
1: My lover stands on golden sands and watches the ships. That goes go sailing
2: somewhere beyond the sea. She's there watching for me. If I could fly like birds on high,
1: then straight to her arms I'd go sailing.
0: It's far. The great Bobby Darren! singing Beyond the Sea, a uh, birthday bumper music selection from the great Tommy Barlotta. Happy birthday, Tommy Barlotta. We're going to uh, take your calls in a moment at 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You know, on... um, On Thursdays, we have a conversation with Brian Kilmeade. He's very good to come on the show every week, and I enjoy our conversations. And he's not only a hard worker and a smart guy, but he's a very nice guy, right? So what he did last Christmas is he took a bunch of us to a very nice lunch that he paid for, and it was, it was not only a nice opportunity to get to see everybody, especially, you know, at this time of the day, we don't really get to see anybody, but it was, you know, very much a positive morale booster. I ended up getting made fun of quite a bit at that lunch, not by Brian, but by everybody else that attended, fine. And um Brian said around Christmas time that he was going to do it in February because there were so many things going on around the holidays that it was just too crowded, too much going on, and I thought that was a good idea at the time, right? Because every day you have two or three December events to go to between December 1st and January 2nd. So this lunch is going to be tomorrow. Wednesday afternoon, and I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I am – I think it's going to be around noon or so. I am always asleep around noon, almost always. So it would require a pretty strong adjustment to my schedule in order to be there. So uh, additionally, because my wife and I share a car and she needs to take our son to school – I would have to leave her to call the car and take the bus in Tuesday night, tonight. So it would start my commute much earlier than I would like. But so my inclination is to say that I just can't make it. But I I feel bad because Brian is so good about making everything. And here's a guy that Monday through Friday is on the air six hours a day. And then he's on the air another hour on, um, you know, on Saturday. He's writing books. He's doing all sorts of other things. And I kind of feel like I, I owe it to him a little bit, not only because he's such a great contributor to this show, but because it's not exactly like he's asking me to dig ditches or perform brain surgery here. He's asking me to sit and have lunch and be relatively courtial. Um, So I don't know how to handle this. Because, you know, it's tomorrow. I'm going to let them know today whether I'm going to attend. And I also don't want to look bad to any of my colleagues that may be going either. So if you have a thought in terms of whether I should go to that or not, let me know. 800-848-9222. My my inclination is to send Matt Blaze as my representative. And um, this way he gets the free lunch. I don't have to go. And it's win-win around. Nobody's going to expect Matt Blaze to say anything. He normally just sits there anyway. So it's Ugh. you know. So What do you think? You you're that's in, what you're, I think. Ugh. You don't want to go? No. Why would I want to go? How about that? you, Tony? You want to represent us at this lunch? You want to represent? No, because I'm,
2: I'm still sleeping at this so time. So
0: why? Right. <laughs> but how do I say to this guy that's working eighteen hours a day and still makes the time for us every you know every Thursday morning before his marathon of broadcasting? Oh, sorry. You're asking me to go to the great lengths of sitting around having lunch. But I, can't, I can't do it. I mean, I feel kind of lame saying that. You kind of see my dilemma here, I think, right? Yeah, so it, is wh- a, it is a dilemma. So, what would you do here? Well, you gotta go. I have to go. You say I have to go. I think you, you say go. I have to go. Well, what about you? You have to go. Oh, my goodness.
2: I mean, he he he's on your show every Friday. Uh,
0: it's Yeah, well, every Thursday. But, every Thursday, um, you know. I, that's right. It's not like I can just avoid him for six months. He's going to ask me the next day, hey, how come you didn't come to that lunch? All right. So i got to figure out a way to go to this lunch. So be it. alright four eight ninety two twenty two. 800-848-9222. The lovely Danielle is in Brooklyn. Hello, Danielle.
2: Hi, Frank. And uh, yes, I agree. You should go.
0: All right. Well, I guess it's a mandate. <laughs>
2: Um, but I'm calling about um that guy, that medium that mm-hmm. you just had on, like I'm not a medium, no nowhere near um, but I definitely do know that spirits can like or people that have just passed can like talk to you, but it's, they're not they don't talk through voices, like my best friend John had passed away last summer unexpectedly, and like I was like devastated, and um i it was just it was just odd because at his week I had never met like a, b- a lot of his family. I only knew his mom and sister and stuff. And I literally I was on my way to the bathroom at the wake, And like, I literally like stopped dead in my tracks. And like, I just, I was just like pulled to this one woman. And like, I started talking to her and just started swapping stories. And like, I, I comforted her. And like the next day at the, at the burial, like I had, he had a piece of artwork that I wanted, I put in his casket and I didn't realize there was another one attached to it, um, and which, uh, his sister gave back to me. And while I was at the burial, like a thought came to my mind when I wasn't thinking about anything, um, and it was like, give her that, like, to give that piece of artwork to her because we had talked about that. And it made her like really happy because mm. I don't believe in coincidences. And like, I definitely know, like, I was like, that he like led me to like that, to like tell her, like, you know, to meet her. Cause he's spoken to me of her. I mean, he's spoken of her, spoken of her to me before. And I just never knew who she was. And until that day, and it was just, it was really odd. And he was always the one that I would go to and talk to about like my bad relationship that i had been in and he always said like you know you got to get this you have to you're gonna have to do it on your own you're gonna need to take you need you're gonna have to muster the strength to you know break up with him and finally be happy and literally two weeks after um he had passed like while i was on vacation with my ex i i just i couldn't take the pain anymore and like i knew i never had the strength to ever like to do it and like he, I swear, like he gave me, like he was the wind behind my back, like push wow. me, like do, you need to, like get, you need to, like do this for yourself, like you need to be happy, You're like this is your, this is your chance, like he's hurting me, like so much, like I could just feel it in my head, you know, and in my heart, and yeah, it definitely helped. Danielle, like, he Daniel, thank
0: me. you for sharing that. I, I have to run uh, just because this is the the only heartbreak of the hour. I appreciate that, though. Uh, that is that's something. You know, I don't know what to believe, but I'm, I know that I'm interested in exploring. Keep asking questions.